The Coin Week podcast is brought to you by PCGS, the standard in the rare coin grading industry. For more information about this week's specials, visit www.pcgs.com. This week on the Coin Week podcast, former chair of the CCAC, Gary Marks, who himself is a medallic artist, joins me to discuss modern coin design, the bureaucracy behind how designs are chosen, and why we just can't seem to capture the spirit and imagination and innovation of the designs of the early 20th century. All this and more next on the Coin Week Podcast. Hi, Gary. Thanks for joining me on the Coin Week podcast. Uh, good to be here, Charles. We've had a little bit of CCAC news since the last time we spoke. Uh, we know that you've devoted quite a bit of time to the CCAC, serving as a member and a chair before you left the position at the end of 2015. Sports legend Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who I believe came on board to replace another short-timer, Coin World editor-at-large Steve Roach, uh, who left to take a position at the IRS, has also now left. Uh, he left the position after serving for only about a year on the committee. Uh, and we obviously listened to most every CCAC meeting. Uh, Cream wasn't necessarily always present, wasn't necessarily a driving force on how designs are chosen. And we say that fully being aware that CCAC meetings are typically part of a continuing and never ending conversation. So I assume in the case of Cream or anybody coming into the committee and being new to the process, uh, and that debate, it can be a little challenging to be thrust in the middle of these conversations without having any context. Uh, from your experience, uh, how daunting is it for new members to come on board and uh, for them to have a real and meaningful impact on the process of judging and selecting great designs? Well, Charles, I, I think that uh, as a newcomer uh, coming onto the CCAC, uh, there's a couple of factors that you have to consider. One is how much experience and knowledge does the new member bring to to the committee uh, and you get individuals uh, from varying places on on that range of of knowledge about coin design and, and how coins are made and so I can imagine that if a, a person comes on who uh, has just been a, a coin collector if even in a casual sense that it would be very daunting uh, but even for myself, when I, I came onto the committee in 2007, uh, I, I've been a lifetime collector and, and interested in artistic pursuits as well. So I came on with some knowledge. I learned quickly that I didn't have enough. And so um, I think every member goes through a learning curve, and you, at least I did, I spent time listening and trying to understand what this process was all about. Uh, one of the things that I, I guess I can say was uh, somewhat disappointing to me about that process was to come to an understanding of how politically entangled the design process is for our nation. Uh, a lot of that stems from the fact that unlike many industrialized countries, uh, our legislative body, our Congress, uh, controls uh, what coins get made, what the subject matter is, and so forth. In many countries, uh, mints are, while government agencies or quasi-government agencies, have much more ability to run themselves as a business and to focus on uh, a tighter mission. When you open yourself up to being governed by the U.S. Congress, uh, there's all sorts of, of issues that come into play. So as a new member on, on the, the, the board, uh, understanding that linkage and how that affected what we did there uh, was somewhat disappointing to me. We would often get proposals that had been passed through Congress, uh, new legislation, and um, uh, Congress folks had partially designed the coin already. Uh, they're not artists. And... Uh, and examples of that uh, would be the, the um, 2015 uh, U.S. Marshals program. Uh, that came to us with 
a long list of uh, this shall be on this obverse and this shall be on that reverse, and that steals the creativity away very quickly from a good artist when you start to channel them down and it has to have this and you have to represent this. So um, I, I think that's one of the, the strangleholds we have in getting good design is we have uh, people who are elected to positions in our Congress, in the House and in the Senate, who decide that uh, they're going to be participants in the artistic process. Um, so uh, I'm not sure how you would change that. Uh, it's embedded in our Constitution that they control uh, the creation of money in the nation. Uh, but uh, uh, as far as learning new things coming onto the board, that was a big one for me. It's interesting that you bring that up. Uh, there are two types of people that I really enjoy talking to about this issue. Um, the designers themselves, obviously, uh, and also those steeped in an artistic background especially in the metallic arts, because I think good coin design is fundamental to the growth and sustainability of the coin collecting hobby, especially as we have seen the hobby change in recent years with a large, if not larger portion of the collectors being interested in modern coins as opposed to the classic ones. Without good art, a coin or metal isn't likely to become iconic. And without iconic items to collect, there's probably not going to be a great deal of passion pouring forth from a collector base. No one's likely to fall in love with a coin or metal if it's designed more closely hues to clip art than the great sculpture that we've come to respect. But the United States Mint, over the course of its entire history, has had the privilege of having on staff competent artists, and on some occasions even talented ones. Not always a given. And when you look at what the Mint created in the 18th century, when it was just getting started, in the 19th century, including the myriad pattern coins it created, and then the first half of the 20th century through the creation of the modern coin period, which per my calendar essentially began as the presidents replaced liberty on our circulating coins and as gold was being recalled in the early 30s. There were good designs put onto coins, and though oftentimes, at least in the 20th century, they were chosen after competition, I don't think that these competitions carry the degree of bureaucracy from the Congress on down that we see in play today. But having said that, the artists that were working at the Mint throughout this entire period were not anywhere near as talented as some of the artists that the Mint has employed in its engraving program over the course of the past 30 years. Artists like Mercanti, Everhart, and Phoebe Hempfel, who's currently at the Mint, are among the best coin designers engraver that the men has ever employed. And yet, we still have this problem where they have not been allowed to create the iconic, aspirational, and evocative coins of our time. With very few exceptions, this is the case. But what you see instead is a one-and-done mentality where coin design has become detached from denomination, where, where programs have become divorced from what makes sense from a strategic and comprehensive vision for how our nation's coinage should look like. And without this vision on the part of the Treasury and Mint leadership and its masters in Congress, there can be no great new era of U.S. coins. Instead, our, our great men artists are reduced to making one-offs and widgets, moralizing random and boring themes year in and year out on our nation's numismatic coins. I know it's a fairly big statement to make. I have friends who are coin designers. I respect their craft. I respect these people. But I also think if you survey collectors, they will share my feelings about the state of coin design in this country. Well, that, that's true, and that's because there's so many fingers in the pot. And and by the time it gets to the collector, or I'm sorry, to the artist, um, and I'll agree with you, the artists that are employed by the Mint who are also uh, sculptors are, um, to a person, uh, outstanding artists. But by the time they get an assignment, it's so regulated and so prescribed to them about what they're going to do, it steals the creativity away. If you look back in the great renaissance of coin design in the early 1900s, uh, that was partially fueled by Theodore Roosevelt when he took an interest in uh, the fact that we needed to change our coins as, you know, coming from the office of the president. And he, he kind of, he pushed that. And uh, artists were were free to create, and in that day, the mint would go out and and um, commission an artist 
to do a specific work, and they were free to create, you know, within that realm of American iconology and, and the symbolism that uh, is traditional to our nation. And so you got the, the great iconic works. But nowadays, um, there there are so many people that have to have a role in this. There's, this, you know, a commemorative issue. You have to have the stakeholders. There are groups who who have some association with the subject matter. Uh, they are consulted. They are given great uh, great uh, decision making power in that process. You've got the CCAC. Um, you've got the uh, Commission of Fine Arts. Uh, you have members of Congress, um, particularly if, it, if the subject matter bears on a historical event that may have happened in their district or in their state. Um, and it all becomes very prescribed, and by the time a good artist gets it, um, they're not given much room to do something with it. Um, another issue that's in play is uh, we've got this artistic infusion program that was put in well, I think uh, maybe 18, 20 years ago uh, by a, a mint director at the time, the idea was to bring in artists from the outside who could infuse uh, new creativity into the process. And while there's been limited uh, examples of success with that program, again, there's, there's actually two factors with that group. One is the same prescriptive uh, jackets that we put them in uh, as far as their creativity goes. Um, but then also, uh, many of them come on not having experience as as um, medallic artists. There's a difference between an illustrator who might you might hire as a commercial artist to create a magazine ad or or something for for Facebook or some something for for print media. There's a very big difference between that and now your assignment is to create a design on a small metal disc that doesn't have any other color except for maybe tones of silver or tones of gold. It's a whole different ballgame. And so we get some very good artists, illustrators, and we say, here, design a coin. And they're not familiar with that 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 venue or, or, or that application of art. They don't understand the idea of symbolism and uh uh, the idea that there has to be balance between negative spaces uh, and and the, the the devices that that illustrate uh, the coin, uh, their the whole idea of allegory, rather than putting storybooks uh, uh, scenes on a coin. Um, another example of, of of this of the prescriptive uh, issue uh, from Congress is uh, let's talk about the America the Beautiful program an ill-conceived program from the beginning because the subject matter is America the Beautiful, and most of the places that are trying to be honored on this program are places that are spectacular because of their expansive beauty. You can't take expansive beauty, which is illustrated in many ways by color, and put expansiveness on a one-inch disc and expect it to have the same power and um, uh, compelling message that it would be if you were, say, standing uh, watching uh, the view or this uh, off of Glacier National Park or in Yellowstone National Park watching uh, a geyser uh, rush up in the air. And suddenly we're trying to capture those things and put them on a coin. So we end up with designs that have rocks on them. And... Uh, we then hope that that will engender interest in coin collecting. Um, I don't think I don't think those sorts of programs are are well conceived. Again, it's coming from good good intent from people who are elected to office who think they have a great idea, um, but they don't quite work out that way. So I think at the heart of what our problem is, there's too many cooks in the kitchen and they prescribe too much, and then they give the artist a straitjacket. And at that point, you've really sold out a lot of hope that you're going to get something spectacular. Every once in a while, an artist can rise above that and do something spectacular, but many times that's that's not the case. In the coming circling back to the artistic infusion program, I think I think it's a great program. I, I hope that they continue it. 
but I think the Mint would be well advised to uh, train these artists who are already great artists in their own right and have many accomplishments, but to help them understand this new this new avenue that they're designing within and what the what are the elements that that lead up to a great design. Um, Heidi Wasweed and I did a program once uh, back in I think it was 2014 uh, when we were both uh, on the committee together. Uh, we were asked to speak to the Art Infusion program, and um, I, I think many of them benefited from that. But it was a one-off thing, and it was you know uh, an hour and a half together, and, and I think that's the last training that was ever done uh, for those artists. So uh, I think there are multiple reasons for the predicament we're in, and um, it's it's too bad. Uh, so it's, that, that that's I guess that really sums it up for problems with coin design in our country. Well, I'll give you a few illustrative examples. I think despite how abused the program was, the early commemorative program in the United States, which began in earnest in the early 20th century, even though there were a few random pieces struck the 1892-93 timeframe for the World's Columbian Exposition, the program didn't really hit its stride until the 1920s and 30s. Anyway, in this program, you'll find many of the most experimental and beautiful designs ever put on a U.S. coin. If you take the Gettysburg half dollar, for instance, this has a beautiful portrait of the bust of a Union Confederate soldier in the obverse, perfectly balanced, and two shields on the side, and a facies on the reverse. The shields represent the Union and the Confederacy. When one looks at this coin, one can't help but admire the design. It's beautiful. It's evocative for the battle that it commemorates. But not just that battle, but the coming together of Union and Confederate veterans, which was the reason the coin was commissioned in the first place, to raise funds for the 1938-75th anniversary union, the last time we would see many of these veterans come together before they passed away. And you compare that to the America the Beautiful Gettysburg National Battlefield Quarter. And I say this because I used to live in Gettysburg. The thing about the Gettysburg National Battlefield that most people don't realize when they go visit is that the battle took place throughout the entire town. It was the Battle of Gettysburg, not the battle of the outskirts of the town or the rolling hills and the farmland. There were buildings littered with bullet holes in them that still stand from the war. But in the decades after the war, the battlefield as we know it, that is, rolling land in the outskirts of town, was transformed into this garish menagerie of statues and monuments, some nice, but others running the gamut from absolutely unremarkable to downright bizarre. It's too much. And so what we've done with this quarter is that we've taken this great battle, this historic place, and made a commemorative coin that captures the essence of the most ridiculous aspect about the place, these garish monuments. And we picked the monument of the 72nd Pennsylvania Infantry, an absolutely unremarkable monument. And to me, the idea that this is the best we can do shows, one, you can't paint a sweeping landscape scene on a tiny canvas like a quarter, and two, that landscapes are far too literal motifs for coin art. Well, I mean, it, that, that's where, when, when you, you get an issue like that, what, what makes that the earlier half dollar uh, spectacular is that they were the artist in that time was reaching for uh, symbolic symbols, um, uh, things that uh, were, were like allegory, like the shields, you know, the, uh, representing uh, both sides of the conflict and so forth. Uh, those visually uh, are pleasing. They can be large on the, on the planchet of the coin, uh, and you can readily understand just by looking at it what it's about. Uh, I totally agree about the Gettysburg Quarter. Um, I was on the committee at the time when, when that was approved, and to me it looked like um, it's a soldier. I believe, in, I believe he has a rifle in his hand, but the way it's rendered, it almost looks like a, a fellow who's out golfing. Um, and that's just a pity because uh, so much more could have been done with that, that subject. But again, I, I have to say that I think the entire America the Beautiful program, the idea that we're going to put national parks that are national parks because of their beauty or their historic significance, somehow we're going to represent that beauty 
on a one-inch disc, uh, I think is fraught with trouble. Another program, after the 50-state quarters program, which I think is oversold as far as how popular it was. Uh, of course, you know, in the first couple of years of the program, it was very popular and created a huge buzz around the country. But I think after the events of September 11, 2001, the nation's mood changed, and we turned our attention to more pressing things. The Vermont Quarter being the last one released before that. And if you look at the miniatures and sales figures from mint sets, clad, silver proof sets, they began to decline from a high watermark in the first few years. That's rather unremarkable looking numbers as the program limped along towards the end. Uh, but it did not help that so many of the designs were also unremarkable. The Presidential Dollar Coin Program, too, uh, in essence a sequel to the State Quarter Program, uh, surpasses the unremarkability of the State Quarters. And it surprises me that you can have a coin that is quite elegant in the form of the Sacagawea Dollar, Glenda Goodacre's design. And you take that canvas that produced such a remarkably beautiful coin, and you produce on it a series of coins that more resemble cheap tokens than U.S. coins. Everything about the series is wrong. And I think that the shared reverse is a big part of the problem. If using these coins as a way to teach Americans about the presidents, making coins that make no reference to their times or achievements is a woefully inadequate way to achieve that goal. So why was it that we could not make elegant presidential dollar coins? Well, I mean, in that program, the artist was confined to only the obverse and a likeness of whichever president it was that they were assigned. So uh, how much can you do with uh, a portrait? Um, and then the, the reverse is the same for for all of them. You know, I, I like to think about a coin. What, what makes some of our coins very spectacular, particularly the ones that are, are from from the earlier times, uh, is that you had a single artist designing both sides of the coin. And they're, you know, I like to think of, of a coin as really it's a two or even a three-sided sculpture, uh, three being the edge in some cases uh, for inscriptions, but most certainly a two-sided sculpture. And some of the best coins are those where the obverse and reverse relate to each other and uh, they they are the, the reverse is a continuation of the story, the visual story that was begun on the obverse. Uh, part of the problem with the presidential program is you have the common reverse of the Statue of Liberty, which is fine. Um, uh, but here again, uh, the artist is left with one side of the coin, and there's uh, the the planchet was prescribed. You know, the the name goes here, the date goes here. And God we trust goes here, and here's this even smaller space remaining on the planchet, and this is where you design uh, something with the likeness of, you know, President whoever. Um, so how much creativity do we expect from our artists when we when we put those confines on them? Not much. Well, again, with that concept, it takes the president out of the historical context of the administration. And the Statue of Liberty on the back wasn't even erected until 1886. So it makes little sense to make a coin where George Washington is on the obverse and the Statue of Liberty is on the reverse. Again, like I said, it doesn't teach you anything about history if all you see is a portrait of a figure with dates in their administration with a generic and probably overused image of, and the denomination of one dollar written in shorthand on the back. The whole thing's wrong. Well, the, the first Spouse uh, Gold Coin program that was run in tandem with, with that presidential series um, was a little different in that the artists were given both sides of, of the coin. And probably the first three quarters of that series, uh, I felt, ended up um, rather unfortunate because most of the reverse designs ended up being uh, storyboards, uh, a picture in the life of this first lady. Um, a good example. Uh, it's the 2011 Eliza Johnson uh, $5 gold coin. And on the reverse, you know, she was known for her um, hospitality at the White House. And so what we get is three people dancing, and one of them is the back of the head of the person dancing. And you see an image like that, and it's like, okay, 
first of all, if you don't know uh, who Eliza Johnson is or that she was known for her hospitality, uh, what does this mean to you that you've got three people who uh, maybe you don't even know they're dancing? They're kind of holding themselves in funny positions, and, and this is unfortunately how we honored uh, Mrs. Johnson. Now, as the program came more towards the end and we got into more of the modern presidencies, there were some of those designs that the CCAC was able to have some direct impact on. And we rejected some of the initial designs, and we ended up with designs like uh, the Eleanor Roosevelt uh, reverse with the, the, light of, uh, the light of hope. Um, we had the best Truman with the big uh, locomotive wheel. Um, and there were some others like that. I think uh, the Patricia Nixon one was the holding hands. And, and whether or not any one of those particularly appeals to someone, they were more um, symbolic and um, allegory and in, 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 in sense of uh, telling a story rather than showing a, a picture of in time. And I, I think because of that, they are more compelling designs. So how much does the design approval process evolve around the CCACs and the CFA's desire to present a coin that the collecting community will appreciate versus how much of the group's members deem that their own personal taste is what's best uh, for our coins? Um, you know, most of us who are on the committee, I'm not on the committee anymore, but most of the folks who make it on the committee are coin collectors. So that, that, uh, that interest is naturally there, and I think that's what drives most of of the members is what what uh, would I be interested in collecting or adding to my collection? Um, there there is some of and and you know when you talk about what's more marketable, I think that a good coin design is what's marketable. I don't know that you can always divorce uh, uh, the two. So. Um, the the thing about the CCAC and and uh, when I was on the committee I would I would look at the the magazines uh, uh, Newsmatic News and Coin World and people would write letters to the editor and they didn't like a design and they blame the CCAC you know well why are they picking this kind of crap well in many cases what they were complaining about was something that ultimately wasn't recommended by the committee because um, what many people don't understand is the committee doesn't make the choice. The committee will make a recommendation. The Commission of Fine Arts makes a recommendation, which is often different because they're coming from a different artistic perspective. Many of them are architects and folks like that, so they're bringing a different perspective. All that is, and then, then the, the director of the MIP gets to, to submit their their ideas about which design to uh, select, and it all goes up to the Secretary of the Treasury, who is, a, in most cases, a financial person. Uh, they're not coming from the world of art. Um, they're seeing also input from stakeholder groups who may have an interest in it, and, and they make a choice. And unfortunately, that often gets hung at the door of the CCAC that we got this dog of a design uh, what's wrong with the CCAC? Well, the CCAC, the truth of the matter is, is is not a a huge player. Uh, it's only but one of several uh, in the process, and there's one person who makes the choice, and that's a person who really isn't looking for art. They're looking for did this does this coin convey a message that's that uh, is in line with the legislation that Congress passed? Very different perspectives. So that's the perspective that's choosing our designs. Sure, we're going to have some bad designs. One of the things that, from my own experience, when I look at a, what people call the animal cracker quarter, the uh, effigy mounds quarter, when the design candidates of this quarter were released to the media, the coin designs looked absolutely ridiculous, just, just ridiculous. And it's not that the artists didn't do a good job in conveying these mounds, uh, as was the mandate of the contest. But on paper, the idea of putting a quarter out with this type of motif, it just seemed bizarre. But you know what? In hand, this uh, design, the design that was chosen, was a triumph. The quarter looks and feels great. I love touching the coin. So it worked out quite well. But I do wonder if maybe, just maybe, the whole process of selecting designs would be better informed if 
the CCAC and the CFA had had three-dimensional models of the designs. And I know that this is the case has been spoken a few times uh, at CCAC meetings that uh, great pencil drawings do not necessarily equate to good coin art. Um, we see a lot of like overly shaded, overly detailed uh, drawings that make, make it into the uh, decision-making process. And usually these are dismissed. But I think maybe it would be good to give uh, sculptor engravers more credit than we have been. Perhaps if the committees were looking at physical objects instead of printouts, better designs would come out of the process. Um, and, and I think for me and for most coin collectors, uh, we crave more adventurous designs. I, I think it could help, Charles. Um, I don't think it removes all the other players in the game. I, you, know, you, you touched on something there that, that I, I wanted to, to come back to, and, and that's the whole idea that that we're making the choices for our, our recommendations, at least, from the committee. We're making our choices looking at uh, drawings that are on 8.5 by 11 sheets of paper, and the, the drawing itself is like 7.5 or 8 inches in diameter. When you're looking at that design and you're saying to yourself, well, that looks cool, or don't like that, um, when we really should be looking at, for example, uh, America the Beautiful quarter, we should we should only be looking at the design in a one-inch version, because that's ultimately what it becomes. So, um, but to touch on your other point about relief, I think you were you were uh, getting at relief with the sculpts. That also is a huge player in how how a, a coin actually comes out um, after production. Sadly, m most of our modern issues are lacking and robbed of their relief. Uh, some of the greater coins that we've talked about earlier in the, in the program here, uh, part of what made them great, like the Civil War uh, commemorative uh, from the uh, old commemorative series, it had relief. Uh, it was tactile. You could touch it, and, and you could feel that relief. You could see that relief, and it was more more honoring to the idea of sculpture rather than a flat uh, image on a, on a round disc, uh, and that's what Rob's many great designs uh, and makes them just come out kind of blasé. So yes, I think if, if the committee could look at sculpted images, that would that would be uh, a, a great assist. It doesn't remove the fact that uh, we've got all these non-artist players in the process who, um, because everything's got to be inclusionary, um, have, they have to have a role and their opinion matters. and. You know, one one of the one of the, the metal programs I'd like to touch on here is the uh, the 9/11 uh, Heroes uh, series that uh, was done. I forget the year, but it was uh, not too long ago. I think it was the 10th anniversary of 9/11, so it must have been 2011. Um, I felt greatly honored to be on the committee at the time where we were going to come up with medals that would honor uh, the sacrifice and and the heroes uh, who came out of that horrible uh, day in our country's history. And uh, what really happened was we had a lot of the uh, folks who were directly involved in in the, the terrorist, I mean, as far as uh, being family members were victims of, of the terrorist act and so forth, uh, they were large, hugely involved. Uh, in in the program and in, in the design selection process, and what you got was a lot of of text uh, reverses that are nothing but text. And I've often said a coin is not a plaque. A plaque, you see plaques on sides of buildings, and they they honor the mayor or whoever who who was in office when this building was built, or the president, or, or what have you. Uh, maybe there's some sort of um, text given about why the building was built and all that. That's not what a, a coin is, is all about the art. That's what makes a coin compelling and appealing to the eye. And we we try to make some of our coins into plaques. And that's sad because while the message might be might be on point, it's not on point for the fact that you're trying to create a coin. You're trying to collect something that that compels someone to to want to keep it uh, because it's a work of art and there's that dimension of art that, that can speak beyond words that when we sacrifice ourselves just for words, 
we lose something um, very valuable. There were some great designs that we could have selected for the 9-11 medals to to honor these folks who were impacted, horribly impacted. And we ended up with medals that, in my opinion, really don't do uh, service and, and don't really completely honor them to the level that we could have reached for, and I'm sad about that. I have one more idea about coin designs and U.S. coins, and then, if you don't mind, I'd like to move on to another topic. I know that congressmen like the commemorative coin program only insofar that every once in a while a member might get Congress to sign off on a coin program that directly benefits some organization that's located within their districts. You know, all politics is is local. Uh, But personally, I would like to see the Heraldic Eagle return to the Washington Quarter and for the Washington Quarter to return to its original design, which, if you compare, one struck before the design was all but ruined by the Mint in the early 90s, uh, where its graceful contours of Washington's face were, uh, re- re- were reimagined as stringy and crudely drawn. Uh, the hair, the spaghetti hair, it just it's, it's an absolute catastrophe what happened to that coin. Um, and you compare that later version to what it looked like in 1934 and the mint strength in certain design elements, improve the motto and so forth. Fraser's design is absolutely beautiful. Um, and I think that going back to that design would be an improvement in every possible way over what we're looking at now. Um, but that is, you know, if we insist on keeping these presidents on the coins, I think that's what we should do. Um, but if you're going to go through the effort uh, to constantly issue uh, circulating commemorative coins, a much better canvas would be the half dollar. The half dollar has had a long history of serving as the denomination of America's commemorative coin program and was the case before the silver dollar replaced it in uh, 1983. It's a denomination that the Mint already uses for high premium commemoratives when instructed to by Congress. And it's a design that's struck in limited enough numbers that collectors will see a value to collecting them. Also, if Congress passes the American Innovation Coin Act, what better denomination than the half dollar where Kennedy, president at a time of great American innovation, uh, uh, catapulted us into the space age and, and let, led an America in the post-war period to technological heights that have maintained our dominance for decades. That, to me, seems like the ideal denomination for such a program. But I also think that the American government needs to come to grips with the fact that we need a National Coinage Reform Act. Our denominations, the ones in circulation, are a few holdovers of the denominations that have been more or less struck by the United States Mint uh, continuously since the uh, 18th century. Uh, Even though today, in terms of purchasing power, all but the quarter dollar has become obsolete. And even though people are more and more used to using electronic means of payment instead of cash or coins, our coins should at least keep up the appearance that they're money of the United States. And to do that, the denominations have to be useful. I think the dime and the quarter should be the lowest denominations, and I would like to see the U.S. follow a path of the European Central Banks, maybe change the quarter to a 20-cent piece, have 10-cent, 20-cent, 50-cent, a dollar, and two-dollar coins. Uh, If we don't reimagine our coin denominations, We will essentially continue to produce them solely for the tradition of it. Um, And that is what has befallen the lowly penny. And will soon also include the nickel as well. Well, I I agree. And that's why you find pennies laying on the ground and even nickels. uh, They no longer have much meaning in the way of value to people. So I I would agree with with, uh, much of what you had to say there, Charles. uh, I, I think a, a realignment of our denominations is, is in order. It would actually save money. Uh, when you look at the durability of a coin compared to some of our lower denomination uh, paper notes, um, the government would actually save. Uh, it, it's not going to solve the deficit or anything like that, but it would save money. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of sense uh, in that, and it would it would bring uh value back to the idea of a coin um, and that in itself could help encourage more folks to get into the coin collecting realm i think part of the problem of 
of the decline in coin collecting is that, uh, particularly in the circulating issues, they're they're old and worn out and dull. Um, uh, I appreciate the idea of bringing back a, an old iconic design, like the reverse of the quarter of the eagle that you were speaking of. But for, for myself, I want to see something new uh, that's good, good art that has relief, uh, that is iconic, uh, symbolic, or uh, expresses uh, the use of allegory, uh, much like uh, the elements that made our coins great back in the, the teens and 1920s and so forth. Uh, when so many great designs were produced. Think about the refreshing effect that would have on coinage and our nation's reaction to it if we had uh, new new coins with fresh, well-executed, uh, highly artistic designs that, that spoke to the values and, and aspirations of our nation. That's what made those old issues so uh, important and successful. And... Uh, until we do that, I don't think uh, there's I, – I think the, the whole coin collecting world will continue to decline because it's becoming more irrelevant, particularly in a plastic economy where uh, a lot of the younger generation uh, are using uh, credit cards and uh, plastic money. Uh, many of them don't really even touch much in the way of coins anymore. They don't have a, a, a tie to it or a relationship or – um, value it, um, so it's hard to then entice them into collecting. So I think much of what you said about uh, looking anew at our coins and denominations and uh, what designs are on them, particularly the circulating designs, is very important, and it would it would do a lot to reinvigorate uh, the whole world of numismatics. Getting back to my thoughts about the uh, com circulating commemorative denomination. What did you think about my idea of using the half dollar? I think that would be great. In fact, when when uh, I was on the CCAC, in fact, during the time I was the chairman, there was myself and uh, several other other members of the committee. We actually authored a bill, uh, and we got it introduced uh, into the House of Representatives that would have created uh, circulating. It would have turned uh, half of the mintage of the quarters and half dollars uh, into uh, circulating commemoratives. Every year you would have a different image of liberty on the obverse and a different uh, either heraldic eagle or some dramatic eagle uh, symbol or um, a union shield or, or some other iconic device on the reverse of, of those coins. The reason we said half the mythage was that one of the one of the roadblocks to changing our circulating coinage is that so many members of Congress uh, have investments into the, the presidential images that are on the coins. Uh, a good example of that is when when they wanted to even change Monticello, uh, maybe a different type of view of Monticello uh, after the. Um, the Lewis and Clark series that was done in 04 and 05, um, we had to go back to the old image of Monticello because there were members of the Virginia delegation, of course, that's where Jefferson was from, that that's the image that belonged there, meant you better put it back on there. And so the opportunity for creativity was lost. Therefore, we, we ended up, in my opinion, with a design that is stale and old. Uh, well done, Felix Slag did a great job back in 1937 and 38 and creating that design, but it's old. Uh, I think there should be art that expresses us as Americans today um, that will bring fresh new perspectives. So, yeah, I think your, your half-dollar series uh, is a great idea, but I think there are even opportunities for the quarter, seeing that it's the one that circulates the most, um, to really get people's attention. Imagine if you're you're at the store and, and the, the cashier hands you a handful of coins and one of them is a sparkling new, exciting design of Miss Liberty and there's a, a great image of a, a dramatic image of, a, of an eagle soaring against a rising sun. Wow, you know, that's going to get my attention. I think it would get a lot of people's attention, even those who uh, haven't traditionally considered themselves uh, coin collectors or numismatists. 
uh, because it's a piece of art and it's new and it's fresh. Well, one of the things that other mints have tried, including the Royal Mint in the UK, is uh, striking special circulating commemorative coins and releasing them in limited numbers and using the earned press to drive frenzied interest on the part of people uh, who, you know, are the people who had checked their change to see if they had these valuable novelty coins circulating in their pockets. Uh, and the fact is that this puts coins in circulation that, you know, on the secondary market have more value than face. It would be a great marketing program for the men, and it would not be expensive at all. And if they do it correctly, it would create a generation of collectors uh, who would then be able to uh, buy the mints more premium products and also support the rare coin industry by going, uh, developing an interest in the vintage coins. You just put your finger on it, Charles. And, you know, if the art isn't good, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Uh, what made, I would submit that what made the, the bicentennial quarter special was, it was a great design. It, it, it pops out, it still has relief. Um, I would submit that if the state quarters and America the Beautiful quarters had compelling designs that had relief, uh, folks might feel different about them. I don't buy the idea that there's too much of a good thing. If that's what we believe right now and we, we use the state quarter program or America the Beautiful as the example, I will submit to you that many of them aren't a good thing. And that's why people aren't enamored with them. If it was good art, they would be enamored with it, even if there was a different one. And there was an iconic Iowa quarter and an iconic Missouri quarter and iconic Oregon quarter. Um, I submit to you that those would be special in their own right, and then you'd have a tremendous reason to collect because you had a whole series of iconic designs that have power in their artwork, and they touch something in the human soul about being an American or if it's a state being being from the state of Vermont or New York or, or wherever it may be, um, it's the art that stirs something in a person uh, as far as a coin goes. And that's, I think, what many people uh, find interesting about coin collecting. Give them crappy designs, they're not going to respond. And I think that we've had too much of that. So going from the topic of official U.S. coins, and I'm sure uh, our listeners could turn uh, every instance I talk to an artist or a person in your position who judge coins and uh, criticize the way designs look into a drinking game. What is it like to go from somebody who gives professional critiques about an artist's work to being a professional artist producing your own medallic designs uh, and possibly subjecting yourself to the same slings and arrows of criticism uh, from people in the blogosphere or the media who don't appreciate your work? Is it difficult to take this type of criticism if it comes? Sure. Well, you know, art is a subjective thing, and, and uh, you, you you go into it understanding that if you're going to share your art, you're exposing yourself um, to others, and you have to be prepared. You know, not everyone is going to like it uh, because it is subjective. But there are good elements that lead to good art, and I've received very little in the way of negative feedback on my art. I have. I, I, there are people who particular uh, works I've done, they don't like them, and that's fine. We all have, we're all individuals, we have different sensibilities. Um, I, I didn't really have a whole lot of trouble transitioning. In fact, to me, it was a relief that, um, because I, I kind of suppressed uh, doing a lot of my own work while I was on the CCAC uh, because I wanted to give my full attention uh, to that. Um, and not take even more time out of my otherwise busy life. Um, so the transition to me was actually a relief that rather than looking at other people's designs and being involved in, in a maddening bureaucratic process with too many cooks in the kitchen, to be able to sit in my studio and become inspired and to create something that I felt was worthy and beautiful, that was a big relief to me. And it gave me, but it and does uh, today give me uh, a lot of satisfaction. So um, I'm very happy to be where I am and being able to create my own stuff. And then the collectors, uh, art critics, and the marketplace will be a judge. And I've had some works that are more popular than others, and that's great. Um, and uh, to me, I'm just 
I'm offering a part of me to to the world, and you can accept it and love it, or you can walk away from it. That's that's not up to me. It seems in a practical way. Uh, if you're an engraver at a big government institution, you, well, you know, you have a lot of latitude when something doesn't quite work out. You can uh, have trial and error where it comes to testing out designs. You can make modifications. You don't really have a cost coming out of your paycheck when you're wrong. Of course, you know, if it's a habitual thing, you, you might not have the opportunity to continue to apply your craft. But uh, as an independent artist, as someone who has a financial stake uh, in the creation of the metals uh, that you produce, uh, how stressful is it to go from your render to uh, production? Uh, do, do you get to the point where you like just hope to God that when the piece is struck and delivered that it turns out exactly how you expected it to? <laughs> well, there's always stress. Um, and, and a big reason why I don't take much commission work is because uh, when, you, when you have someone you're designing for, then it becomes even more stressful because you're trying to satisfy them. When all I'm trying to do is express myself, um, then I can I can have a level of, of peace about what I've done. And like I said, people either like what I have done or they don't. I don't create my art because I'm going to think I'm going to make a profit if I'm going to sell a bunch of them. Uh, the fact is that I've not really made money on my, my uh, art. Um, I do it simply because it's my artistic release, and I hope that I can cover my costs. So most of what I've done, I've done uh, solely out of my own creativity and not being directed by others. Um, and there's, there's a lot of freedom in that. And, you know, the only stress then comes, you know, uh, am I going to lose my shirt because nobody wants to buy what I've created? And so far that really hasn't happened. I've had some that were more popular than others. Some I've struggled to, to sell enough to break even. Um, and there's always stretch with that because it's financial. Um, but it's not overwhelming, and it certainly doesn't uh, in any meaningful way displace the satisfaction I get from creating something that, at least in my own eyes, is, is beautiful or redeeming. All right. Thank you, Gary, for your time. I appreciate it, and I hope to talk to you again soon. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with all your friends. The Coin Me Podcast is closely approaching our 100th episode. And for episode number 100, we have a real special treat for you. You have to tune in, though, in two weeks to find out who it is. For Coin Week, I'm editor Charles Morgan. Until next time, happy collecting.